0: hey everybody welcome to another episode of the web behind today with me i have ray bango from microsoft hey ray what
1: up, what up?
0: how you doing i'm pretty good i'm pretty good doing well
1: thank you so much for being on this uh, podcast with me oh, my pleasure and in the interest of uh, trolling my teammate christian Hamman, hey christian have you done your crossfit wad today
0: uh Oh let's see let's see if we get anything back from that yeah
1: you know uh, come on, man. you know I, I need him to do some thrusters and some burpees and stuff like that so
0: gotcha gotcha um so can you tell us maybe a little bit about what you do for Microsoft
1: I am a developer advocate for Microsoft I focus on the web I focus on uh, open web standards and you know of course I talk about Microsoft the, the Microsoft Edge browser I was formerly the Internet Explorer evangelist so I'm sure you can imagine how how fun that job was, uh, but ultimately now I get, you know, I transitioned over into Microsoft Edge, which is a much better story to tell, so I'm very grateful about that.
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool. So you do a lot of uh, conferences, community stuff.
1: Um, maybe could you give me a little bit, like what's it? What's a day in the life like? What kind of stuff do you do? Well, the good thing is I get to work remotely for Microsoft, um, that's nice. I, you know, normally most people have to move out to Redmond, unfortunately enough, where I can work from home and, Sunny South Florida. I can look over and see my pool, and I know that's always the envy of the people in the Midwest when the winter's coming around. So, I'm, and I like to troll them on that. But ultimately, they, I do.
0: Can you tweet uh, like a picture of a yardstick in the sand or something like that for Florida winters.
1: Something like that. Yeah, so uh, but ultimately I do go to a lot of conferences uh, I i like engaging with the community. I think it's fun to do that I think it's fun to understand what makes a, a developer tick and look at alternative viewpoints you If you don't do it what ends up happening is you get a kind of like a, a very uh, you guess almost like tunnel vision yeah. Around what your company has to offer and and a lot of times that may not be what the community actually wants so it's really important to go out there you know, as, as Scott Hanselman would say, you need to shake hands and kiss some babies type of thing. Uh, but ultimately you need to go out there and, and just rub elbows with developers and understand what they're building and why they're using a specific tool chain and, and what are they passionate about because that's the only way that you can actually bring back feedback to your company and and be, be relevant to that community and build products that they want. So conferences. Um, a lot of social media. I think um, uh, you know. I think most people would probably know me, uh, you know, from social media. Uh, and then, and, and then, just generalize writing blog posts whenever I have a chance and helping run this really awesome team that I have here at Microsoft.
0: Awesome. So now I know you have been in the tech scene for a while now. Um, but one thing I like to do on the podcast is like try to get guests to go back in time since before they were involved in tech.
1: Okay. Uh,
0: Talk a little bit about like what what your life was like pre software pre tech. Uh, maybe we could do, do a little bit of that.
1: You know, it's funny because I know you and I kind of chatted about that uh, a couple days ago. And the funny thing is, I don't I don't recall a profession. I, let me say I won't. Re, re, I don't recall an adult part of my life that didn't involve tech because I started I started in software development at a very early age. I I think I was twenty one or twenty two. I know that I started back in nineteen eighty nine. So uh, shortly after I graduated from high school and, uh, finished two years of college. And I said, all right, I'm going to start working professionally as a software developer. And so you're talking what 27 years now that I've been doing this. And if you can imagine that I, here I am at what 21 or 22 already doing professional development. I, I don't recall much of a life. I mean, it, for that, we'd have to go back to the teen years where <laughs> all right, I, I played baseball in high school and, uh, you know, I ran cross country and I was a very introverted type of person, believe it or not, in in high school. So it's kind of a contrast to the role that I'm in now where I, here I was incredibly shy to have conversations with people and approach anybody and uh, strike up a conversation with a random person. And now my job is to be that person to go out there and kick off conversations and speak in front of crowds and not... For all intents at least put on a persona of being an extrovert. I and I think I'm kind of a it's a dual thing I, I'm a little bit of an introvert and a little bit of an extrovert And I think it's a nice balance where I can have some time to myself where I really don't I don't need to be in a crowd But I also like to be out there engaging the community but back to your question though um, I Like I said, it's just really hard to picture it The Ooh. only thing I can say is when I start when I was 18 years old is when I really got into computers even though I had a Commodore VIC 20 and a Commodore 64, and but at age 18 is when I said well, I really want to do programming because I got my first PC and I started tinkering around and I just became enamored with it and that's when I realized that's where I want to go to. So,
0: that's awesome. I really yeah I've been liking a lot lately. The interviews are either like a lot of people that just knew immediately that this was for them and so they want to do it, and then a lot of people that have kind of the opposite where they were like you know I was you know doing car stuff or doing electrical engineering or a math ma-
1: you know what I mean. But I really I really like it um, I will say that one of the weirdest things that I ever experienced and and people I, I know people say I'm just freaking weird but I remember one day I was programming and I and I used to program in a language called clipper which was uh, it was a compiler for x-base or d-base type of programming language and I remember I was building that and I loved Development so much and I was the typical guy that would stay up till super late in the morning do it and one day I just sat there and said oh my god one day. I'm going to die and I'm not going to be a program anymore And it was the weirdest and I look back on that I'm like oh my god. That was just so weird that a, <laughs> that's, a pretty, that's a pretty deep thought and a pretty
0: deep uh, love for what you do though. I think yeah. that speaks volumes. That's pretty cool. But it
1: was, I, I, it was this, it's this love that I, that I have for the code. When I, when I get a chance to actually sit down and code, I, I actually really get deep into it, and it's like I, my fingers start flowing again. I, that muscle, that brain muscle that, uh, that you have for all these different code, you know, code attributes, things like that that go into it, and they just start flowing. And there's something that's really cool about it. And so, um, would I say that if I didn't, if I died tomorrow, I'd miss coding? I can't tell you that's the same thing now. I think I've done my fair share of coding uh, over the years, but I do love coding nonetheless. It's just that I, I think I miss some other things much more than coding right now. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. I think that's good. Father. Yeah, hey, I, think um, it's, I think it is healthy. I think you need to progress a little bit past just this love for coding and be a little right. over the top.
0: Um, cool. All right. So with that, could you maybe uh, walk us through the career that you've had? I, so it started like, you know, out of high school or whatever. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, kind of talk about some of the highlights, some of the jobs you had. Yeah, sure. So um, my career actually started after my uh, second year in college. And I got my associate's uh, degree in computer science. And I just wanted to start working. Uh, there was something I just really liked. I was so enamored with wanting to build Professional software that I just started working so and, and I started working for a very small company and I'll never forget that I I didn't have practical experience. I just wanted to do a job and I Interviewed with a lot of people and nobody would give me the opportunity I finally went to this one person and he looked like he might give me a shot and I begged him I said listen I'll work for six dollars an hour just let me code let me prove it And he hired me and he said I'll pay I'm gonna pay you seven dollars seven dollars an hour and like I was like Yeah, score, you yeah. know now, mind you, seven dollars an hour is pittance to what you young bucks get nowadays when you're coming out of college. But you know, nonetheless, it gave me the opportunity to jump in, and then from there, I, I think, even though I I say I'm an introvert, one of the things I've always felt is that I'm a bit of a go getter, and I like to kind of push the boundaries. I like to understand what's coming up next, and I like to I, I like to meet with the community. I just i fun I have fun with that. So um, I always try to look to see what's coming up because I knew sooner or later these Programming languages that we use—they kind—they kind of tend to fade away. Uh, most popular programming languages, at least during my career, have tended to kind of lose favor. Generally, after about a ten-year cycle, JavaScript has been the exception actually. JavaScript has continued to really take off. Past uh, when I first joined the jQuery project many many years ago, um, that you know that's when JavaScript was really starting to became, come into prominence because of the whole Ajax thing, but. Now it's just continuing to skyrocket, and we're you know we're what eleven years on from then, and it's still doing great. But you know, I went from programming in Clipper to shifting into client-server development in the enterprise, working with a product called PowerBuilder, which was an object-oriented um, IDE that um, or an IDE that gave you object-oriented features. Uh, it had like a scripting language, but you build classes. You had all the typical buzzwords of. Uh, o in there, which is great, but it also gave you a really easy way to connect to high-end relational database systems, which was one of the critical things, and that's why it became so popular. And then um, then eventually, I shifted over into Cold Fusion when the web came around, and I started, I think, like many people. It's like I just got into building a web page, and I was like, this is freaking cool. And then, of course, though, my because I had the experience in database systems, I wanted to know how do I tie that into a database so I can render stuff and i went down the route of traditional asp but when cold fusion came around i just like fell totally in love with it and just drove on that and became very in tune with the community became a member of team alaire and and i think that's kind of a an example of the whole developer advocate thing so when i was working with powerbuilder i was a member of team powersoft helping the community you know be an advocate for powersoft and help them solve problems and then when i went over to team alaire same thing helping the cold fusion community kind of solved their problems, but also advocating for cold fusion. And uh, it's, it was a kind of a trend where I always, I've always i always kind of revolved around the community and helped them out. And then eventually uh, I kept hearing about Ajax, 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 and I really thought Ajax was some kind of new technology. And I remember buying Head First Ajax. I think it was an O'Reilly book. And I'm reading through it and I'm like, oh, this is JavaScript. And I was like, okay, and so then I, tinker with ajax i thought it was like one of the coolest things you know to piece all these little pieces together and be able to render dynamic data and, but i wanted to have a i wanted to be able to use a library that i could depend on to normalize a lot of the dom nuances i didn't really want to settle with that if i didn't have to i wanted to kind of abstract as much as possible and that's how i got involved with jquery and that turned out great uh, john Rezick, uh, kind of saw my participation in the forums and that I was helping a lot, and he asked me to lead DevRel for the jQuery project, which is great. That's how I started cutting my teeth in the DevRel community, in DevRel uh, all up. And eventually I ended up going to work for Mozilla, uh, and I managed the uh, Mozilla add-on community. So some more DevRel stuff, some more community management stuff, and still kind of doing development. And then eventually ended up coming over to Microsoft because Microsoft wanted to spark up a new site that was focused on HTML5, CSS, and JavaScript. And it was perfect timing, and so went over there and they had a team that was all remote, and I got hired by Scott Hanselman, who a lot of people know as you know very very a big advocate for remote development. He's Mr. .net, but he's also Mr. Open Source now, and uh, very in tune with the open source community and all the things that are going on. So now I've been at Microsoft for five years. I had a stint at Telerik for a little bit. Telerik's an ISV that helps uh, developers across a broad spectrum of products. Um, and I was a director of development for director of developer relations for a while and then came back to Microsoft to help Be the evangelist for the web uh, web standards and Microsoft Edge Awesome, so I
0: think you are the first person to actually uh, Complete the start to finish career usually I think people feel like they're talking too much and they stop, but that's awesome Yeah, um, but I do want to dive into some of those things. because They sounded really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the the first one, which I've heard a little bit about, um, is is you were like, what was it? It was like John Rezig's kind of original hire or something like that? One of like one of the first hires onto the jQuery? I don't know if it was the foundation then, or uh, could you just
1: tell me a little bit about what things were like? Um, yeah. In a yeah. period of time. So what ended up happening was that back then the jQuery project was obviously growing. There was a lot of interest in jQuery. And of course you had great competitors out there. Uh, You had prototype, Mootools, uh, Dojo. You still had uh, like, well, it was CooksDo and a bunch of other really high end frameworks, but jQuery would just continue to skyrocket because they really made things so much easier to do. The, The API documentation was great. And the one thing that we, as a team, always prided ourselves on was ensuring that the community had the help that they needed, that we were always thinking about community first and that we made sure that no matter what, we treated everybody with respect. And this was even before the team formalized. We just had a bunch of people on there that we all got along. And so you look at guys like Carl Swedberg or, you know. Um, John, of course, or you know anybody else that was one of the original, you know, um, Richard Wirth, the original founders of the jQuery project. And the the key the key thing that we all had was this desire just to help. And there was we didn't expect any rewards. We didn't even expect to have a team. We just we loved jQuery. So eventually, John wanted to form a team. He wanted to kind of formalize the structure of the jQuery project and. And I think he also wanted some some help. He wa- he realized he can't do everything by himself. So he started asking people to join the team. Now, I can't say that I was number the, the number one hire. I don't know what number I was. Um, I can say that I was one of the original founding members of the jQuery team. So when the jQuery team was officially formalized, I was one of the, the first ones on that team. So I know it turned out great. And he said, hey, you're really good at... Bring community together, you had good, good community insight. I had the enterprise experience as well, which was really valuable because a lot of enterprises were asking about how do they use jQuery, and uh, he asked me to come on board. And it was really interesting because I'll never forget, I think we had a call, if I remember, it was Bank of America, and we were, they They had a question about uh, jQuery, using jQuery, and I told John, John, we need to get a phone call with these guys, and he's like, what? I go, yeah, we need to get in a phone call. You can't just email them, like, what do I say? I was like. Let's get in a call. We'll, we'll we'll work on this together. We did, and they were so appreciative of the fact that an open source project called them, and I think that kind of set the tone for the way the team would would have relationships and build relationships across the board. And yeah, there were times when we'd pick up the phone with an individual developer or a corporation. It didn't matter if somebody was really really in need. We we were there to help them out. So it worked out really nicely.
0: Just time and time again, I feel like I've heard that story told about the jQuery project like I remember a while ago doing a presentation on the history of jQuery and WordPress, and it was like the same thing, like your team is just like, "Hey, we can spare us you know this much dev time we can come over, we can come down and work with you on it like I think that's that's like a really
1: a really powerful thing and I love the fact that it came top down. it was something that john John was really an advocate for and and it just trickled down it wasn't like there was only a part of the team that really believed it. It's like, everybody, John led by example, and that really drove everybody to, to go, you know, follow him because we believed in what he was doing, and we and he demonstrated as well that if you serve the community, that you'll get the results you want. And so everybody on the team just followed his lead on that. John was really instrumental in defining that, which is great. And, awesome. I, and I have to tell you that I find very few open source projects nowadays that have that same, same mentality, so, um, I would urge anybody who does an open source project to think community first, more than just what the product has. It's gonna be, uh,
0: Yeah, I think that's great. So can you tell me a little bit more about Mozilla? I actually didn't know that you worked worked
1: there. Um, How long were you there? So I can't remember how long I was at Mozilla. I'm gonna say it was something like, I think 18 months. But I can say that it was one of the most rewarding experiences I had. So Mozilla is a unique organization. Um I came in when they were still like I, I'm going to say about two hundred people now it's much bigger, but the one thing I always loved about Mozilla was that um, you could do what's right for the web there was no profit motivation um and it's great it's but it's a catch twenty two i you know one of the things that you want to do what's right for the web so you obviously you you, you always go in there with altruistic um, thinking and the community is so passionate and they they love mozilla um but I also feel like I want to help developers be successful financially as well. I want them to help businesses. And at that time, it was just a very different mentality. Everything was about let's make the web open. Let's make sure that software is as free as possible. And and I think Microsoft ultimately ended up being that much better fit for me, even though it was tough. It wasn't easy at first because clearly Microsoft was the 800-pound gorilla that everybody looked at it like, ooh. Um, but I think... Having worked, been on the jQuery team, and I was on the jQuery team when I joined Microsoft, and then having worked at Mozilla gave me a different perspective. It made sure that I have a really good understanding of what the open source community uh, appreciates, and it gave me an appreciation for what open source is about, and that kind of gave me the runway to go into Microsoft and also bring that thinking, not just thinking, all right, I need to push Microsoft, Microsoft, Microsoft. It's more like I need to push things that make sense for the community, and if Microsoft happens to have something that does that, that's great. And if not, okay, that's fine. Does't mean that Microsoft needs to be in every conversation.
0: Yeah. So now speaking of Microsoft, you've had kind of this uh, interesting career there where you were at one time right working for IE, which was like I mean during times where it was really not well looked upon. Um, and now you're kind of getting in my opinion from my view kind of this reward of you know a lot of hard work that they've put in. Yeah. Um, where you know, on Edge, and it's like all this cool open standards
1: and all that. What's that yeah. experience
0: been like? I mean, you've kind of been on both sides of it with Microsoft at this point.
1: Yeah. So I, when I started with Microsoft, they even wasn't even about IE. I kind of wanted to be involved with IE simply because it made sense from my experience and my background uh, being in the web. So the IE team at that point kind of like was out in its own world, and getting involved with the IE team back then was a very hard process because unless you were part of that engineering org, unless you had connections it wasn't like you can just walk in and say hey I want to help you out and and that's it that's just not the way it, it ran it took a while for for them to get to know me and to build that level of trust and again I wasn't part of an organization that was explicitly designed to to work with IE my goal was to build content around open web standards which of course HTML5 CSS3 and JavaScript and that was great but I I knew that I wanted to be a developer evangelist for Microsoft, that's just my goal so I kept pushing and pushing and pushing Um, and eventually I developed some really good relationships internally at Microsoft on the IE team that allowed me to get some inside information um, and even eventually build a a really good relationship with the then VP of IE, Dean Hakamovich, which was nice. So when I finally did become the internet explorer evangelist I came in around a time, I think it was like IE 9 so it wasn't as bad as my predecessor, Giorgio Sardo, who had to deal with like IE8. I, that was kind of rough for him. I, I, I heard his war stories, and I know that was really rough for him. I came in at a little bit better time when the IE team was really focused on improving standards, uh, improving standard support within the browser, and trying to revitalize IE in the eyes of the developer community and the user community. It was still tough because. People would perceive IE as IE6, IE7, uh, and to some extent IE8. Even though IE8, believe it or not, IE8 still had a lot of great standards, it, and it wasn't anywhere near as bad as IE6. Nonetheless, there was still quirks in there, and people would look at that, and I'd get the jokes, and I'd get the the looks, and the oh, you work for Microsoft? Why do you you know? Why would you even? Why would I even talk to you? You don't care about the web, and and then of course developers at that time started using MacBooks. And it was interesting because MacBooks became more pervasive around, I'm going to say about 2010. Even though they were starting to use it, they really took off in usage around 2010, maybe 2011. That's where it really started skyrocketing. And so of course that makes the conversation that much harder because if you're on a Mac and you don't have IE, then you can't really test and getting developers to buy another machine to test IE was really, really not a good conversation. So we continued to push forward, but we started making inroads when we offered VMs. Uh, that helped to demonstrate that we were serious about them, giving tools that they could test on. We kept beating the drum around web standards and focusing on that. Uh, that, was a big, that was a big thing that gave us more credibility when we're having conversations about web standards and not about Internet Explorer or some kind of proprietary technology. So it made it a little bit easier, but the conversations were still very difficult sometimes. And of course you'd go into a presentation and there was the IE slide there, you know, making fun. And I remember, remember, I'll never forget this one, that I went to a conference uh, called StarTech. I loved the conference, and in fact, I wish I could go back and do it. But at that point, I didn't, there was some other great guests there. Paul Irish was there, Robert Nyman, Stephanie Ruiz, uh, Jonathan Snook, some really good people. So Robert was working for Mozilla. Paul, of course, was working for Google. And I remember they're getting these rave ovations, oh, Mozilla, blah, blah, blah. And then I come on stage and I go, hi, I'm Ree Bango, I work for Microsoft, and the booze rang out.
0: Oh, man.
1: And I'm like, are you kidding me? And then so thankfully, it was in Chile, and I, I speak Spanish. So I spoke Spanish and somehow I guess that they, there was a <laughs> Hispanic connection there and it kind of like quelled things and I, I won them over with my Spanish. And then, but yeah, afterwards, I still got some really heated comments. Some people were really like impassioned about their dislike of Microsoft. So things have changed obviously very uh, dramatically now. Um, I came back to Microsoft specifically because Microsoft Edge showed the promise that I had always hoped for. um, And developers have taken to it. Can I tell you right now that there's a bunch of developers that have switched to Windows so they can use Microsoft Edge? No, I wouldn't tell you that. But the thing is that at least now, Windows is in the conversation. Uh, I hear developers all the time saying that they would consider Windows now because they feel like it's a better experience, especially since, for example, we announced Bash. Yeah, that was a pretty cool. big deal. Uh, but ultimately, they feel like at least the browser is not IE. They're happy about that. They're happy that we're putting in new updates. You know, we talked about some of the newer features that we we're, that are already in the preview builds, whether it's web notifications or uh, WebRTC 1.0, which is a big thing. Those things all matter, basically. And the people are seeing that we're trying hard to keep up with the web. We're trying hard to add features that matter. And we're trying to keep the browser updated. So that's, that's a radical change. And it makes me feel at ease when I have conversations. And I don't feel like I have to justify Microsoft's existence in the browser space yeah. as much. I say there's still some people who I have to talk to, but it's not as much as I used to. That's great.
0: Um, cool. So I guess just a couple of last questions. Um, if like this podcast is I think mainly geared towards people that are starting off in their career. Um, I was wondering if you had any advice for people that are, you know, just getting started right now, you know, in a lot of ways things have gotten easier to mm-hmm. learn development, but it, in other ways it's gotten a lot harder as there's just, you know, a lot of fracture in the community. There's so many different paths you can take. Yep. Um, kind of wondering if you had advice for people starting out.
1: Yeah, I think uh, anybody starting out the... If I had to give you one piece of advice is... Um, we am going to give you a couple pieces of advice. Number one is, um, and I'll take this, and I, meant, I mean this very seriously, um, respect the elders. Uh, I know it's it sounds weird, but there, one of the things that I've seen quite often is that as you get a little bit older, um, you have a lot of great developers that are coming in, young developers that have a lot of great ideas. And sometimes they tend to kind of... Um, uh, brush aside these developers that have been around for a long time and Believe it or not. They've been around the block for a bit They may not be using the most whiz-bang tools or the cool and shiny, but their ability to um, To break down a problem and come up with a solution They probably have th- they've probably seen things that you haven't so if you give them at least an opportunity to work with you and listen to them a little bit that'd be great and then if you actually uh, approach it from the perspective of Hey, I'm going to help you get out. You know, learn this new shiny tool because it's going to help you in XYZ. I, I think that's that's an ad, an added benefit. You're it's the best of both worlds because you get to benefit from their experience, and then they get to the benefit from your ability to learn. And in my and I'm going to admit this, young people have this ability to learn very quickly. I mean, I but I, and a lot of that has to do with their availability of time and and also the resources that are available to them. Uh, so I. I know you and I have had lots of conversations about technology, and I look to you sometimes to, to learn new things, even Node, you know, I look to you for Node advice because I don't, know, I don't know everything, but I do know a lot of things, and I hope that developers will feel comfortable coming to me one day and saying, hey, how do you do this, and I'm able to solve it. It's building that mutual respect no matter what your age is. And then the other thing I can recommend is that now that I'm you know, at age 48, so substantially older than a lot of you, you guys um don't lose track of the real world life goes very fast and i can tell you and you might have heard it from your parents i'm not your dad and i'm not your mom i'm telling you as this as a guy who's living this right now it feels like just yesterday i was getting into this business and we're talking 27 years on and it feels like it was a you know a snap of a finger don't Lose the opportunity to experience the real world because you're sitting in front of a computer coding all day. Take life in because no matter what, your job will be there. A lot of people feel like they have to program 10, 15, 20 hours a day. You don't. And I think spend time learning, spend time coding, definitely take it in. But spend an equal amount of time living life you know, whether it's hanging out with your partner, whether it's going out for a walk, whether it's taking a vacation, take vacations, okay? Take them, all right? Enjoy life because it's just, it's fleeting, it goes by very fast, and um, and, and just take it all in. Uh, otherwise, you'll look back and say, damn, I didn't do that, and thankfully I've lived a pretty good life so far, and I hopefully I'll have at least another 30 or 40 years before I kick the bucket. Um, <laughs> but i i never want my friends or anybody listening to this podcast to not experience life and what it has so there you go
0: yeah no i think that's awesome i think it's really important and uh yeah i think it is easy to lose sight of the real
1: things yep um oh wait oh, cool. it, there is one last thing If yeah you have, okay. i will say this from a career perspective this is really really important more than your programming skills develop your. Your communication skills, your social skills, and your emotional intelligence. Your ability to be able to effectively convey your thoughts and manage your interactions with your peers is so critical to your success. That's how you will get people to follow you wherever you go. Um, If you are the type of person that cannot communicate, if you are the type that's confrontational, if you are the type that doesn't understand situational awareness or has no filter, your ability to succeed will be incredibly limited once you start moving further in your career. So unless you're gonna have your own startup and you'll be the, you build the next unicorn and you don't have to worry about it, if you plan on working for a long period of time, make sure you develop those skills because it'll be important as you get, to, uh, get further in your career. Yeah. So I think that's it, yeah.
0: No, that's awesome, I think those are all really good. Um, and then I guess specifically also I know I get a lot of like write-in questions about getting jobs, interviews, that, like the actual, you know, landing a job, um, do you have any advice specifically about like things that have worked really well or maybe things that you wish you had done differently as far as, um, you know, like networking, finding a job, interviewing for a job, those kind of things?
1: I think the networking is the biggest uh, thing that you can do in terms of finding a job because if you're able to network and demonstrate to that network that that you know what you're talking about, that immediately gives you a a different level of credibility once you walk into an interview. First of all, it gives you the ability to leverage that network to find that initial opportunity and if those those, those people recommend you for an opportunity, that immediately gives you a a notch above every other candidate it's it's for all intents it's what's called a reference basically Mm -hmm. and you're being referred to uh this manager this hiring manager by somebody who theoretically they trust so by doing that you're you got that leg up so i would say build your network again it goes back to that communication skills that i was telling you about if you're able to do that and, of course, make sure you can actually back up your, 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 your work. Uh, I think that's going to be the single biggest thing you can do. Technical skills, those are things that can be certainly developed. Uh, and if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you're a software developer and you put in the time that it takes to develop those skills. But if you don't have a network, nobody's going to be able to see it unless you, by, you know, by the stroke of luck, you have the most popular open-source software product out there. You need that network to bring you that visibility. That's so important in finding the great opportunity. And also, equally important is um, make sure you don't jump around too often. Uh, I see that a lot in Silicon Valley because it's just too easy. Obviously, if if you have a layoff, is the opportunity is just not right. I understand it, but try to make a commitment for a while because that's valuable. And a lot of hiring managers will look at that. I know that in the Valley, a lot of people jump around because you know opportunities abound left and right. Um, and I know that the saying that you know loyalty doesn't matter anymore, but um, consistency does matter. That does matter. So I would urge you guys to at least stick it out for a little while and learn as much as you can before saying, you know, I've been here six months and somebody's offering me $10,000 more, I'm going to make a move. You know, so. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I think those are great. Well, cool. I think that's yeah. That's all I had. Um, some really, really great insights there. Uh, thank you again so much for being on.
1: No, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And um, you, you do realize that we have a a date with a lightsaber and a super circle, super circle that you are going to lose. It's going to be a battle you lose.
0: And we will film that. And I will. If I win, put it out on the Web Behinds website. So it, it, we're going to use Periscope for that one to All live right. stream it. That, that sounds good. All right, so stay tuned for that in the in the in the coming soon section. There you go. All right, thanks so much, Ray.
1: No problem.